in the name of our Creator, our Sustainer, and our Redeemer. Amen. I am the bread of life, said Jesus to the crowd. Eating involves so much more than simply appeasing our hunger. Over a lifetime, how many meals you will have had. Some will have been especially rich with significance. For me, these include childhood birthdays. My parents worked very long and very hard hours. And despite having started often at around 4 or 4.30 a.m., my mum would work late into the night before a birthday, baking a cake. Lucy was my childhood friend, and I loved being included at the table in her farmhouse home. Later, when I was a teenager and my dad died, Lucy's mum took me into the fields to go strawberry picking, an oasis on a day when I just didn't know what to do with myself. Or being welcomed to Palestinian refugee camps and humbled by the food reserved and offered to we who were strangers. Or our wedding banquet surrounded by those who loved us. And more troubled meals. The Christmas when certain family relationships had broken down and words were hurled like knives. Our eating can disclose much about our lives and our choices and our circumstances, both individual and collective. No wonder then that archeologists love to discover what our ancestors ate. Eating can involve thankfulness, receptiveness to new cultures, thoughtful reflection and celebration. It can gift solidarity in times of grief or fear, tangible expressions of love and support and inclusion, encounters which open us to the world and to God's presence and activity in the world. The biblical story begins with food, the opening chapter of Genesis describing an invitation to eat that this was to be an expression, though, of thankfulness, obedience, and dependency on God. And then scattered throughout the Hebrew scriptures, many kinds of meals, from great royal banquets to the miraculous provision of the basics for survival, the hospitality of Abraham and Sarah, where strangers reveal God as guest, the giving of the law, when Moses and the elders ascended the mountain and ate and drank in the very presence of God, the feasts where the community gathered to eat and worship together, a cycle of remembrance in which God, God's self, was assumed to participate, and in the feasting, the bonds which drew the community and people together and held them close to God were renewed. So many meals, so many feasts, 
And then probably the most significant Old Testament meal of all, given to an enslaved people to fortify and prepare them for freedom and to be a sign for the future. The dramatic escape was coming together and word came that the Israelites were to gather, to eat, to mark their doorways. So that as the dreadful calamity that was to befall their captors unfolded, it would pass over them and presage their freedom. This pivotal event, of course, celebrated to this very day, revolved around a meal whose yearly repetition would underscore those that took part in it, that for them their own identity as the liberated people of God. Then Jesus the Jew took the structure of this ritual Passover feast as the basis of the meal that he would share with his friends on the night before he died. Theologian Tom Wright says, when Jesus wanted fully to explain what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He didn't even give them a set of scriptural texts. He gave them a meal. Jesus has given us a meal, a meal to signal the freedom from death and from evil, from oppression that he has wrought, an everlasting sign of hope. Both Passover and the Lord's Supper, which we are about to celebrate together, are gifts, gifts to aid their participants in remembering remembering our former situation and what has been done for us, remembering who and whose we are. It's easy to forget, and God's response to our forgetfulness, a meal. Where the story at the beginning of Genesis the taking of the ring-fenced fruit in the garden might signal humanity's desire to go it alone. The meal we're about to celebrate in bread and wine was a perpetual reminder of God's hospitality and our dependence on it. Here in the West, dependency is a dirty word often. We want to be so self-sufficient. Our tabloids despise those who cannot or will not contribute in calculable ways. Those of us with resources usually try to avoid depending on others unless we face a particular crisis. Then we learn what it is to pray earnestly give us our daily bread. The reality known to so many around the world, people even in this country dependent on food banks, children who struggle during the school holidays 
when their free meal provision is no longer available. Sometime or another, all of us will experience the truth of having come to the end of our own resources. Those might be physical or financial. They might be about time or energy or hope or health or inspiration. But what if acknowledgement of our dependency might open us up to God and one another in new ways, ways that nothing else can? What if we can learn to think and to act differently, recognizing God's compassion on our dependency and that of our neighbor? What if our societies could see vulnerability as a gift to the community and not a burden by which we see our treatment of our most vulnerable members as an insight into who we really are. Shortly, I and you will be invited to come and receive bread and wine. As we do so, receiving from Jesus the bread of life, may we grasp that together with our neighbor, we are held in the hospitality of God. As we receive, may we recall what God has done and will do, whom and whose we are, and may we extend such understanding to our neighbor, near and far. Then may we who have received be open-handed in our sharing. We who have been set free go to set others free. Let us pray. Jesus, bread of life, may we who gather as your guests receive you with gladness. Fill us with your presence, but keep us hungry for justice and righteousness. Amen. <laughs>